Okay, we're starting. Cubs needing transport. It's a story from It's Rum Life, uh, Book Two, Boston, nineteen sixty to nineteen seventy. I'd almost forgotten this story until reminded of the incident while writing the Sea Scout bus. This story is from several years previously, in fact before Ruth and I were married, so that puts it around 1964. We were both leaders of the first Boston Sea Scout Cubs at this time. I forgot who was actual leader or our Kayler. We had swapped places at some stage as Ruth continued her post-SRN midwifery training at Queen Charlotte's Hospital in London. The origin of this tale is Cub Scout football matches in the Boston and District League. Their reason for our Cubs to be constantly losing their football matches was that they were Sea Cubs and they were sticking to that. The boys were enthusiastic enough and had a good trainer in Mr Worthington, one of the scout parents. Perhaps they lacked the aggression or capacity to attack that the opposition seemed to constantly possess. I suppose a good illustration of typical opposition was the 4th Boston Curtain Cubs. Their long-established male leader regarded defeat of a football match as a personal failure. Fanatical would perhaps best describe his attitude and naturally, being typical cub-age boys, they picked up this characteristic enthusiastically. The fourth Boston Cubs never lost a match. Some of the lady leaders in the district were equally forthright and pushed their teams forward at every opportunity. On reflection, I was probably at fault here as I never really been enthusiastic about football. But the district club leaders in general had formed a football league for the different units to compete in and the Cubs had to be given a chance to enjoy everything available to them. The week before this memorable day our team had been playing Wibberton, not one of the top teams in the league, but nevertheless we lost 14 to nil plus a pair of Wellingtons. The Wellingtons are not part of the team, it was just that a pair were lost and never recovered from the venue. We were now into December and Christmas festivities well underway. We met our boys by arrangement at a spot in the town's South Street called Doughty Quay, opposite the old Custom House. Much of old Boston is difficult for younger readers to comprehend, as in the late 1960s the local council decided to destroy the centre of the town and its classic architectural heritage by driving an internal bypass through its heart. We leave our tale for just a few moments and reflect on who in their wisdom has ever heard of an internal bypass. Now, in the 21st century, Bostonians can see just how stupid and ineffectual this 1960s decision has been. The town is still just as desperate for a normal bypass as it always has been. Since the 1960s, in fact, when the A16 traffic was constantly forcing its way through the bottlenecks of the town. It is just that the inner bypass made the bottlenecks larger 
and now with much larger vehicles and incredible volume, huge queues form in all directions in and out of the town for most parts of the day. So in effect, the council's original idea of a proper bypass, taking traffic and they thought trade, away from the town, has resulted in anyone with a glimmer of common sense avoiding the town like a plague. We'll go back to the 1960s. And down on Custom House Quay, the boys were arriving in small groups from different parts of the town, complete with football boots and duffel bags. But only boys. There was no sign of parents or any other supporters of vehicles. Seatbelt regulations and the like had not even been contemplated in this period of the development of motor transport. I was working at the Standard and still living at home. I had an arrangement with my parents that I shared the second car. I paid part of its running cost and did all the servicing. The car of the moment was a bright red Renault Dauphine because father had a passion for the mark and a good friend in Pete Taylor, the local Renault dealer. These remarkable little four-door cars had an independent suspension, no cart springs and the engine in the rear. This left the whole of the internal floor area totally flat with no transmission tunnel and no exhaust pipe running front to back. Their main selling point was their economy, quite capable of 50 mpg. I could make my £1 fuel allocation from my £4 10 shillings weekly wages last the whole week. In 1964, jet petrol was five gallons for a pound. Time was marching on and we had to decide how to transport the team to Freeston, about five miles out of the town. First of all, the kit, boots and duffel bags went into the boot at the front. Then we began layering the boys in the back seat, some on the floor, some sprawled with others on top. We had a blanket, a carryover from driving older, colder cars, and this came in useful later to cover our load as we passed a row of police houses down Eastwood Road. They were not all in yet though and there was Ruth and myself the driver. I think we had two in front with us and there must have been nine or ten in the rear. They were in and out so much trying to find the most comfortable formula. Cubs coming in all shapes and sizes. It's difficult to remember exactly how many we carried. I do vividly remember having to send some supporter cubs home though as at one stage we closed the doors to see how we could manage only to find the wheels would not go round. The suspension was nice and soft, so soft that the whole car body squashed down onto the wheels at the rear. I think we had to take two or three boys out before we could actually set off. Needless to say, the team lost this match as well. Well muddied but happy at actually being able to go and play, the boys were content. The return journey was uneventful until we parked the car in the front of the Midland Bank and White Hart Hotel on the town bridge. Most boys lived in the western side of the town and this gave them access to their routes without going over major roads. It must have been close to 5pm. The Salvation Army Band was playing Christmas carols for the Saturday shoppers until we stole the scene.
First of all, a complete noisy football team of muddy boys poured from within a very small family saloon car. Next, they collected all their boots and bags from the front, where the engine normally resides. Renault Dauphines were still fairly rare. The bandmaster lost all control of his players as they stared in amazement. The music slowly droned to a halt as the bandsmen and their previously enthralled audience gaped in amazement. We made a swift exit before too many awkward questions were asked. That's the end of this little tale. We've hoped you enjoyed listening. Uh, there, there are lots more uh, information and uh, details on our website on the internet. It's www.crackerbooks.com. Uh, there are videos to watch completely free on YouTube. If you type in uh, Keith Sanders, the story man on YouTube. And there is a little shop with lots of pictures and photos and more details on the internet. It's Richard Keith Sanders, all one line, dot cells. Cells is S-E-L-Z dot com. Thank you for listening.